Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see that many of the husbands made it out to the church this morning with their wives up in Lancaster, so good job, men. I have a little story I want to tell you today that involves uh, three pastors, uh, a Grace Church pastor, a Methodist pastor, and a Baptist pastor. These guys had lunch every so often to discuss church business, and during one of those lunch meetings, they were talking a little bit about tithing at their church and also about their salaries, how they got paid. So they were asking each other about this, and the Grace Church pastor says, well, we collect the offering on Sunday. And what I do is after the service is over, I get the offering plate, I throw it up in the air. Whatever lands in the plate is my salary. Whatever lands on the floor goes to the church ministries. Well, the Methodist minister says, I do just the opposite. I take that offering plate, I throw it up in the air. Whatever lands in the plate belongs to the church. Whatever ends up on the floor is my salary. So they both turned to the Baptist minister and said, how do you do it in your church? He said, I take that offering plate. I throw it up in the air. Whatever the Lord wants for the church, he takes. Whatever lands in the plate or the floor is mine. <laughs> we don't do that here at Grace, just so you understand. Uh, last time I delivered a message, um, I believe back in January, we were talking about uh, gifts and using your gifts for God's glory. And uh, I spent quite a while covering a lot of the ministries and I do want to mention, I forgot to mention three ministries that we do here. One, we have a security team that is in this church that keeps an eye out so that when we come in and worship, we don't have to worry about an attack. We also have people that come here early in the morning. They set up our coffee pots. We can come in, have a cup of coffee. Then they have to take it all down when the service is done. And then we have the people the real stewards, to count the money and make sure it goes to the correct places. So I just wanted to give a little shout out. I forgot a couple of those um, last time. Uh, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, 12, it tells us to apply our hearts to instruction and our ears to words of knowledge. I pray, Lord, as a congregation, we will do that this morning as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Submission to authority. This is a pretty tough subject because naturally all of us want to do things our own way. Um, I grew up in a home where submission to authority was real big because my father was a police officer and a detective and uh, eventually a lieutenant in the county department. So submission to authority was a big thing in my house. Um, I had to obey my parents, my mother. If I gave her a hard time, uh, my dad would come back and I'd have to uh, answer to him. And then, of course, being the officer, uh, being a son of a police officer, I had to be careful of my behavior to make sure that I wasn't participating in something that could be a, a bad reflection on him. Um, I have a son who's a police officer, a son-in-law who retired as a police officer, and a nephew who's the captain of a department in New Jersey. So law enforcement is kind of big in my family. I chose not to go that way, but I was a teacher, I was a school administrator, and obviously I, I was an authority, and I had to uh, enforce rules in the classroom and in uh, for the school. Um, in our society today, uh, one of the factors that is eroding it, eroding our structure, eroding our foundation, is the lack of submission to authority. 
Uh, this has been a problem since the Garden of Eden when Satan disguised himself uh, in the form of a serpent and got Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. And sin entered into mankind. It's been passed down through all the generations in history and societies around the world have been rebellious. As I mentioned in a prayer, there is the verse, Proverbs 23, 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. The United States of America was founded on this type of principle. It was a Judeo-Christian ethic that started our, our government, biblical principles, and even with unbelievers throughout the history of America, there was always a respect for people of faith. There was always respect for God, for the Word. Even if they didn't accept Christ as their Savior, there was a respect. When I went to kindergarten a long time ago, my teacher, and her, by the way, her name was Mrs. Gerber, and we used to get a kick out of that because there was something called Gerber baby food, so we would, we would you know, say that about her, Mrs. Gerber's baby food. But she would get up every day, and she would open up the Bible. Uh, I remember her reading out of the Psalms, and she would, she would have prayer. And this is a public school in New Jersey. Um, when I went back to school in first grade, the teacher didn't pray or read the Bible. And I was kind of puzzled, because the year before, we did that every day. And I went home and asked my parents, now I'm six years old. And my parents just said, well, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled against prayer and Bible reading. You're not allowed to do that in school anymore. You know, I was young. I didn't really understand all that stuff. But I want to tell you, when that ruling was made and subsequent rulings against the Word of God, our society has declined very rapidly. Um, what followed in the 60s was total rebellion against law and order. Drug use became an epidemic, sexual immorality spread across the country, rules and good traditions were thrown out, they were bucked, and our country's moral decline continued rapidly to where we are today. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to delve into a biblical text regarding our responsibilities as believers to be subject to authority. But I want to briefly mention, before I even get into to some more scriptures and stuff, I want to briefly mention some of the things that have attacked us. One is there has been an attack on the family structure in the United States of America. Traditionally, there's a mother and father and children. The parents uh, participate in disciplining the kids. But what has happened is we've had divorce laws made very easy. You can get a divorce for just about anything. You can get a no-fault divorce. Um, you may have a little waiting period. Uh, the ungodly media, they mock traditional marriage. Hollywood mocks traditional marriage. And of course, fatherhood today is totally mocked on TV shows. Uh, when I was growing up, you had some of the, you know, Leave it to Beavers and Father Knows Best and stuff where the family structure was there and the father was viewed in a positive light. Uh, that's gone out the window. Without the foundation of two parents teaching right and wrong to their children, we have children beginning to rebel. Now, I understand there are single parents and maybe not even by a choice of their own. Maybe they've been through a separation or divorce or death of a spouse or whatever. 
Uh, and they try to do their very best to raise their children in a godly way. And of course, if you're in that boat, I, I continue to commend you and, and pray that you'll do that and you know, keep your children involved in church ministries and train them and discipline them at home. Um, the task, of course, is best if you have two parents that can work together on that. Children who don't learn submission to authority at home, they go to school and they disregard the rules of the classroom teacher. And those of you who have been in education, you understand that full well. Uh, their lack of discipline and their lack of submission to authority is causing teachers across the country, both in private schools, Christian schools, public schools, to leave in droves because their classroom is chaotic. In fact, in some cases, when they try to discipline the students for their behavior, they're not backed by their principals. And then when their principals want to back them, they're not backed by the superintendent or by the school board in that community. And so what you have is you have kids going to school, they get into fights, they walk around the class, they yell out, they do whatever they want. Teachers try to, and I, by, by the way, I hear these stories. I have uh, daughters and daughters-in-law who have been teachers in both Christian and public schools. Uh, when eventually somebody like this graduates from high school, if they've made it that far, uh, and then let's say they get through college or they go into the workforce, they're not used to listening to anybody or obeying anybody. So they get fired from their jobs, they go from job to job, and of course, if they're out on the streets, they get bored, and then they start committing crimes, and you have that issue as well. And then one other thing that I want to mention is now we've reached the day when our government is not doing its job of of enforcing rules and authority and protecting people. Uh, we have people that can get arrested and get out now without any bail. We have uh, prosecutors who refuse to prosecute minor crimes. You, you're seeing across the country uh, where, where these gangs are going in and tearing apart stores and stealing everything they can. They, nobody even gets arrested. They don't go to jail. I think in California, if it's less than 900, they don't even worry about it. Um, People that are found guilty are given short jail terms. In some cases, they just let them out on, on a probation. Um, and so it seems that we live in a day and age where even some of our government officials, some of our prosecutors care more about the criminal than they do the victim of a crime. All right, so I've now painted a pretty dismal picture of where we are, right? So what can we do as believers to try to turn things around? Well, first, I want to start out with, we must be in submission to our Lord. Okay, we have to start there. The first commandment is that we should have no other gods before us. Our Creator is the supreme being, and He is our authority. And of course, we have the rules by which we should live in His Word, the Word of God. And James 4.7 piggybacks off of this. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, our first duty as believers is to submit ourselves to God. And this is the basis for our ability to be able to submit to our governing authorities. Because if we don't submit to God, we're certainly not going to submit to our governing authorities. So let's take a look now at the main passage. You can follow along with me on the screen as we go through this. Uh, 
1 Peter 2, 13-25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to those who punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So that's our scriptural text. So I want to start out by looking at the definition of submission. And you can read down the bullets there. To arrange under is the main thought there. Uh, and it's used in various contexts to indicate subjection or subordination. And examples we have of that are military rank. We have people in here that served in the military, and they had uh, different ranks. Um, I think we even had some in here ranking as high as a colonel. I don't know whether we had any generals. If so, uh, thank you for your service. We um, have submission between children and their parents. We have submission with wives and their husbands. And then we have the submission of servants to their masters. So this is, the, uh, this is the structure that we have uh, in our society. Um, as we continue the passage, the word submission requires us to be humble and to be subject to every institution, whether it be the emperor, and in our case, we'd have a president. In some countries, they would have kings. Or to the governor, whose job it is to punish evil and reward good. Now, as believers... We need to be above reproach, and we need to follow the law. I think all of us can relate to we're driving down the highway, not really paying attention to how fast we're going, and all of a sudden we see some red flashing lights behind us, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm getting pulled over, they caught me speeding, I'm going to get a ticket. Now, in some cases, they're chasing somebody that was going faster than you, and you breathe a little sigh of relief. Or you're going down a road, and you're passing a school, and the school has been out for several hours at 7 o'clock at night, but they have a little speed camera there. And you're going a little too fast, and a little 
picture goes off, and then a week or two later, you get a ticket in the mail. Um, we can all relate to little, little things like this, where we might get a speeding ticket or a fine. And by the way, uh, speeding tickets and fines can en end up hurting you on your insurance. It can cause your insurance rates to go up, so you don't want to get points on your license. And my insurance last year, my wife and I are good drivers. We haven't filed a claim in years. Our insurance went up 16%. I'm sure many of yours did too. So I don't want to get any speeding tickets or have, have those um, ones mailed to me for going across the speed camera. I want to share uh, a personal story about obedience to the law. Every April 15th, our taxes are due. Some of us file our taxes and we're delighted when the tax person says, you're getting a refund. Some of us file our taxes and we don't have a lot of things to claim and we end up having to pay Uncle Sam a lot of money. Um, I'm going to owe Uncle Sam uh, this year. When I was a classroom teacher, I ran a construction business during the summer to supplement my income. And sometimes I did a small job. Sometimes it was a cash payout or a small check, but I would record that. And I was talking to a family member one time. We used to have a family reunion, and many people would be there. So I was talking to a family member, and I was mentioning how, you know, I keep honest records and records. He says, you, you record the cash payments and little payments? I said, yeah. He says, why do you do that? The government would never know. And you know, he was right. The government would have never known with cash payments or small checks. I could have hid that. Government wouldn't have known in a million years. But I explained to him that I was a believer, and I had to do what was right. And by doing what was right, I didn't have to worry about a tax audit or a fine for not paying my taxes with interest. I didn't have to look over my shoulder. I think Proverbs talks about the wicked run when no one's even chasing them because they're always looking over their shoulder because they know they did something wrong. And I told him I had to be honest. Now, I don't think I changed his mind, but I had to be obedient to the Scripture. And it goes to something that Jesus said when they were challenging him with the coin about who he should pay the money to. And in Mark 12, 17, he said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. So I've had to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I've had to pay my fair share of tax, even though, once again, nobody in the world would ever know if I cheated. But God would. I have to be obedient to him. Now, getting back to the passage, one of the things that amazes me is the fact that when this passage was written by Peter, one of Christ's disciples, that Israel was ruled by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire basically encompassed the Mediterranean world. And Nero was the emperor. And Nero was a wicked man. Definitely satanic. He had Christians persecuted and killed. Yet Peter was writing that the church had to be in submission to authority. Peter understood that God permitted humans to rule. And sometimes the rule is just and good, and sometimes it's unjust and evil. But Peter was saying you have to submit to the governing authorities. An excellent example of this also would be Daniel. 
Daniel's one of the most righteous men who ever lived on the face of the earth. But he had to serve, you know, the Israelites were in captivity, and he had to serve under despotic kings, people that were evil, people that could order somebody to be killed. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to his image. But Daniel was a man of integrity, and he ruled. And of course, he spoke the truth to these rulers as well. He was placed in that position, and he did this. We also need to understand that one day, Christ will come back, and he will rule as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. We'll rule with him as, as priests. And the beautiful thing is that Christ will rule justly. There won't be any problem with our governmental system when he comes back and rules as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, there is an exception to obeying government authority. And I want to talk about this. This is when our government, or even maybe your boss at your workplace, ask you to do something that's completely wrong, completely morally wrong, and it contradicts Scripture. A biblical example of this is found in Acts 5.29, when the Sanhedrin, which were the Jewish rulers, commanded Peter and the apostles not to preach in the name of Jesus. This was Satan's attempt to keep the gospel from spreading around the world. But they responded in this way, we must obey God rather than humans. So let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, We have nations around the world that are Muslim-controlled, nations that are communist-controlled. Christians are not permitted to worship publicly. In fact, they forbid them really from worshiping at all with any kind of meeting. Um, if, If they're found out, they're punished, they're imprisoned, and they're even executed. I think Courtney Dixon does a little study on the persecuted church, and we know that these things are happening. So what do they do in regards to government rules? Well, they obey God, and what this has led to is the establishment of underground churches. It has caused missionaries to risk their lives to smuggle Bibles into these areas so people can get the Scripture and read the Word of God and come to Christ as their Savior. In our country, we've had some people that have had to take a moral stand against corruption. They've had to speak out, although by doing so, they could be targeted, maybe even fired or persecuted. Uh, We've had some doctors and nurses that work in hospitals to perform abortions, and they say, we can't do that as believers. In some cases, they will lose their jobs because of this. There are many other examples out there. Um, So... It takes a lot of courage to take a moral stand and say, I'm going to obey God and not do something that is biblically and morally wrong. And it takes great faith when one loses their job, loses their livelihood when they take this step of faith. But God is going to be there and he's going to provide for those people when they take that uh, act. Now, other than the Acts 5.29 principle where we have to obey God rather than man in everyday life, We have to obey the authority. So let's take a look at this. When we, it's it's God's will for us to obey authority. When we obey authority, um, people that are trying to discredit Christians, 
for their behavior. They can't do it. Because when they attack the Christians, they, they, they can't point their finger at anything that they're doing wrong. You remember Daniel um, was such a righteous guy when he was advising the kings. They couldn't find anything to get rid of him. The ungodly people wanted to get rid of Daniel. And Daniel would pray three times a day in a window where the public could see him praying. And so, of course, they devised a rule that if somebody was praying other than to the emperor, to the king or the emperor, they would be thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel took a stand. He went right back up to those windows because they couldn't find anything morally wrong with him. They couldn't find anything wrong with his governance, so they had to try to do this. And, of course, we know the story. He was thrown in. God shut the the mouths of the lions, and then those people that conspired against Daniel were the ones that were thrown into the lion's den, and they were killed. Um, In verse 17, we're instructed to be humble and to honor everyone. We're to love our Christian brothers and our Christian sisters. Uh, We are to fear God. This reminds me of uh, Psalm 86. Uh, Jack Sup preached on that uh, this summer. I wrote a song based on this. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. You see, when we fear God's name, when we have a right relationship with Him and we respect Him, then we're going to be obedient to our authorities because the Scripture commands us to do so. And I want to give a little caution here. Um, There's social media out there. And sometimes we get mad at our governing authorities, especially if they are pushing ungodly principles and ungodly rules on the American people. We have to be careful that we don't publicly mock or ridicule those rulers on Twitter or Facebook or any of the other things. Because if you do that, if you're making fun and belittling them and mocking and ridiculing them, then it kind of hurts your testimony as a believer. I'm not saying you can't disagree. Obviously, if somebody, if a leader is doing something wrong, we need to confront them. We can, we can state what the case is, but we don't have to make fun of them. And then, of course, on election day, we have to go and make a choice as to who we're going to put into office. Before we move to verses 18 to 20, I want to remind you that submission and respect for authority has to be taught in the home first. You see, it all starts with children and their training. Uh, Ephesians 6.1 instructs children to obey their parents. So teenagers that are in here, you're not in children's church, you've got to obey your parents because the Scripture commands us that you need to do that. Uh, there are several passages in Proverbs that command the parents to discipline their children to help save them. It talks about if you spank them with the rod, they're not going to die, but you may save their soul from hell. Uh, Proverbs uh, 20.11 says that even little children are known by their ways, by the way they act, whether their conduct is pure and whether their conduct is right. Um, And as I mentioned in the beginning, if we don't have children obeying their parents, we certainly can't expect them to go to school and obey their teachers. We certainly can't expect them to obey a police officer on the streets. So that has to be taught. Um, In 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5, Wives are instructed to be in submission to their husbands. Now, Elder Dennis Faye is going to be up here next week, and he's going to have to address that issue, so I'm not going to to get into that right now, other than to say 
when wives have to be in sub, uh, submission to their husbands, this is not a rubber stamp on their husbands to act as dictators because their husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And I'm sure Dennis will expound upon that a little bit more next week. Um, we'll go now to uh, verses 18 to 20. Uh, deals with obedience of servants to their masters. When this letter was written, it was common for household servants to earn a salary working for their master. Today, we would look at this as the employee and the employer. And they were told, the believing servants were told to be subject to their masters, whether they were kind or even if they were unjust. And just like back then, today we have bosses that are unkind and unjust and demanding. And when you go to work, they can make your work miserable. I think if you've been around for a while, you've probably had at least one boss like that. But believers who work for these bosses must still do their jobs. One of the, one of the temptations is when you have a boss that is a, a, a despot and he's tough to work for, she's tough to work for, it's like, I'm not going to do as much of my job or I'm going to cut out a little bit early. Well, you got to be careful of your testimony because you're hired to do a job and you must do that job. And you have to seek to shine in that job, even if your boss makes your life miserable. Sometimes this type of persecution in the workplace helps to thicken your skin. It also may prepare you for positions of greater responsibility where you become the boss or you own a company and you employ people. And when you have been mistreated, now that you're the boss, you should be treating people graciously. Um, I, I worked for an employer one time. It was a relative who belittled me constantly, but I needed the job. I needed the income. I was in college. I needed to pay my bills. Uh, my parents said, stick with it. And what that did back then is it started to thicken my skin because one day I became a school administrator, and sometimes I had teachers that were unhappy with me or parents that were unhappy with me, and I had to, I had to listen to a little bit of that. Um, so be subject to your employers. Do your work. If they treat you unkindly, you treat them kindly. You do your best for the Lord because this type of behavior is gracious in God's sight. Okay? If we suffer, if we do something wrong and we suffer for it, for example, we get that speeding ticket or we steal something and we spend time in jail, you know, we know what's coming to us. But if we're treated unjustly when we've been innocent and we respond graciously. Once again, this is good in God's sight. Okay, as we come to the final part of the scripture, um, 21 to 25, Peter points to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered unjustly. And his is the example that we must follow. We'll start in verses uh, 22 to 25. Um, Christ was sinless. He was suffering. He was sinless. Of course, we're not sinless, so sometimes we suffer because we sin. He didn't speak deceitfully. When he was reviled, he did not revile. So you talk about reviling somebody, that's using scornful or abusive language. And he could have said Christ could have been justified to use that against the people that were sticking the crown of thorns and spitting in his face and beating him 
we, we feel that we'd be justified in doing this. But you know, Proverbs 20, verse 12b says this, And the scoffer is an abomination to men. And Jesus Christ, who knows the Scripture, didn't want to be an abomination to men by, by ridiculing and mocking those who were setting him up for his crucifixion. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Instead, what he did is he entrusted himself to his father. Then, in obedience to his father's will, he bore our sins on a cross so that when we trust him, we can die to sin's desires and live righteous lives. And by his wounds, we are healed. And of course, if we accept Christ as our Savior, we'll be granted eternal life in heaven. And lastly, the passage reminds us that we were once lost sheep before we trusted Christ. And now we've returned to the shepherd and to the overseers of our souls. Jesus is our shepherd. He is the overseer of our soul. He is the one that guides us in life. If you don't know Christ, I would urge you to accept him today. And we're going to have our elders and prayer team come up in a minute. Uh, you can come up and ask some questions about how to be saved, or if you just have general prayer requests, come on up here uh, and we'll pray for you. So let's, cro- let's close with a word of prayer now. Lord, looking through this message myself, there's just a lot in Scripture that tells me that I need to be submissive to earthly authority, but more importantly, I need to be submissive to your authority. And I want to pray for the people in this congregation that are sitting here today or watching online, that they will examine themselves and make sure they're submitting to you and to the authorities you've placed in our place. Lord, please be with our ladies. Give them safety coming back from the retreats. And Lord, continue to bless Grace Church in all the ministries that we're involved in. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name.